welcome to Sonic Talk, episode number 464, recording today, Wednesday the 21st of September, uh, UK time. Uh, if you're wondering what this is about and you've just stumbled across us by accident, we are a music technology podcast, talks about all things to do with the technology, about music production, live playing, software, working in the studio, all that kind of stuff, synthesizers, drum machines, anything you care to mention, and a few left left-hand turns and side curves thrown in for good measure generally speaking anyway you uh, please do subscribe to our youtube channel we do this every wednesday but we've also got a bunch of reviews and interviews and all those things that come up on the sonicstate.com uh, website so uh, please do join us we want to say thank you also to our sponsors isotope uh, a little bit later on in the show they'll be giving away a copy of their excellent vocal synth vocal processing plugin so stay tuned for that about uh, probably about halfway through so the show generally runs about an hour 20 an hour something like that so anyway let's get on to our guests uh, we are here now oh i should just say first of all oh no that's the wrong button that's that's our sponsor this is the chat room uh, this is the chat room that you can see this is our irc chat room sonicstate.com forward slash live is where you can get that and of course we've also got the youtube chat room uh which i can't merge the two so anyway i, I always explain this and it always ends up sounding may, way more complicated you choose where you want to hang out there's lots of people in either one so that's fine so let's say hello and welcome to our guest i'm going to start with mr non eric from musotalk.de because we haven't seen him for such a long time Mr. Non Eric is, of course, uh, the proprietor, presenter, wrote the theme tune, uh, uh, stars in the show, does everything. Uh, how is it going in Berlin? Berlin, come in, please, Mr. Non Eric. Well, the uh, sun is shining. What else can you expect? What else can be better than that, right? Well, our sun is shining and you're working, but we very yes. much appreciate you coming on. So, well, uh, it's not work to be on your podcast, Nick. Oh, it's you say the nicest things. Thank you very much. And, of course, uh, you can check out non-Eric stuff at musotalk.de if you happen to understand German. A lot of it is actually much more intuitive than you think, but it's a German-language podcast. Uh, sorry, not podcast, video channel. I should yet give you the chance to plug what you've got coming up first. This is, this is our uh, unspoken agreement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay, uh, actually, uh, quite a lot, actually, uh, because uh, tomorrow we'll be doing a show, one hour, where um, I invited um, some of the most prophylactic uh, German Cubase users um, uh, to the show, and we've been discussing the feature requests that we have and the community has because at, uh, it's, it's not a secret this year will be another Cubase iteration. Cubase Pro 9 is on its way and yeah, we want to build up a little bit of tension and, uh, and I think uh, one of the major uh, requests will obviously be when will it have Ableton Link, right? Ah, yeah, now that's, <laughs> now that's open source, right. This is my feature request number one here. And then uh, we will have uh, um, the second part of our modular show that I did together with Patrick from Alex Fear here in Berlin, where we build a whole uh, Eurorack case and we have uh, 10 episodes and the 10th episode is coming up very shortly. And that's the one where you can actually hear the whole modular system because that will be the final episode with the patch examples. Ah, excellent. That sounds like a lot of fun. So you jumped in because last time we saw you in person was at Superbooth, I believe. And yeah. uh, it was all very uh, exciting and uh, and. Uh, and you, uh, I guess from that point, you kind of hooked up with those guys. And because uh, Patrick's a great guy, he did a couple of things for us at uh, Studio Stecker in Utrecht as well. So he's the right man for the job. He's the man, definitely. 
Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, non-Eric. And uh, we've also got, let's go over here. We've got Charles Chicky Reeves from sublimeuk.com. Uh, slightly pixelated gentleman, but I'm sure we'll be able to get through this. Uh, so uh, Charles is at his uh, home studio. Well, his, his professional facility which happens to be at home, which I should say. You can see he's got tape and everything. Uh, how have you been, Charles? Oh, hold on. I might have to come. Could you, could you dial back in again? It seems like we might have lost a bit of bandwidth. You've gone, normally your bandwidth is extremely good, but it seems to have gone a bit uh, max headroom. So I'll go to Dave and maybe in the meantime, you could pop in and out again and see if that improves the connection. Would that be okay? Yeah. Assuming you can hear me. Oh, let's go to Dave Spears there. G4software.com. Home of in his synth cave, which is looking tidy. You've got all the covers off. Uh-oh, delivery. I've just had a delivery, literally, about five minutes ago. Should we do this on air? Yeah, go on, let's have it on. But I hope it's not something that you're going to regret oh, showing everybody. The subscription <laughs> to that magazine. Yeah, it does look very magazine-sized. Oh. Ah. Can you see it? Keyscape, yeah, this I see. This time. Oh, that's what I'll be installing while the show's going on. Is that actually the hard drive version or the box version? I don't know. Oh, God, I don't know. Oh, well, I just drive edition. Ah, well, that means does that mean you don't actually have to uh, install it? You just plug that in, or is it not quite so straightforward as that? I don't know. I know nothing. Ah, okay. I'm glad to hear that. Hold on a sec. I'm just going to go and get Charles back. Uh, I think he's back. It still seems a little bit low on the bandwidth. Just one second. Okay. Uh, while he does it, Dave, I'm also waiting for my Keyscape package. Charles Chicky Reeves, come Hi. in, please. I bought this. I can. It. It, it's still, it's still not your. I, I think you need to have a word with your service provider. It's definitely not quite up there. Anyway, Charles, how have you been? Let's see how we get on with I've that. Been, I've been well. I've been in France for the past week, doing mix with the masters with Al Schmidt and Steve Jenowick Ooh. at La Fabrique Studios. That sounds like fun. Fantastic. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been eye-opening in so many ways, and and I'm. But it's seven days straight of just lots of. It's been it's been amazing. It's been it was totally amazing. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, and work. Yes. Well, you have breakfast, then you work for a few hours, then you have lunch, work for a few hours, have dinner and beer, and everybody talks, and you basically get to know the guys, which is fantastic. They're very personable. They very they don't hold anything back. They're just they'll they're giving away all their knowledge. It's fantastic. I love it. Absolutely love it. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you could make it onto the show. Uh, let's get on with some topics then. Uh, obviously, the first one is sad. I mean, as I, I wrote a little uh, piece on this, uh, sad news about uh, obviously Don Buchler's passing. And it's just one of the, I mean, as the, the, the kind of history of electronic music gets further and further in the past, the pioneers, I mean, this is an inevitable kind of march of time, but it is very sad. I'm going to play a little video because this is something that was shot, uh, Don and Alessandro Cortini playing at the uh, San Francisco Electronic Music Festival 2010. This is called a track called Everything Ends Here. I won't play it all, but uh, I don't think many people perhaps know that uh, Don was also uh, a regular performer. It's uh, very sort of nicely atmospheric as well, which I guess is really rather fitting. 
I think these are two system ooh, 200Es maybe I'm not familiar that's Alessandro Cortini there also plays with uh, Nine Inch Nails as their live keyboardist synthesist shot of Don soon. There we go. I think I won't be able to play the whole thing. That's uh, a, a once piece of Everything Ends Here from uh, Blind Old Freak, which is Alexandre Cortini's episode EP1. Now, obviously, this is kind of sad news. I mean, I know, uh, Dave, you made the uh, movie uh, Bright Sparks, and I know you were trying to get to talk to Don. I mean, he was a very quiet man, um, obviously, but one of those kind of quiet geniuses. I, I think I put in my... You'd always see him at trade shows, and he was never really kind of involved in the sort of ego-led banter of the musos. He just kind of was to the side and just did his own thing, right? Yeah, he. I there's a brilliant New York Times article, which really, when it put into context what he'd achieved over his life, was was a lot. You know, I mean, Alessandro and him were close, uh, and Alessandro posted it originally, kind of saying, you know, that there really is no one who compares. And that, I thought it was a brilliant piece. But when I reposted it on Facebook, there was a quote that he said. You know, I'm firmly on the outside and I've chosen to stay there. I, I don't know. It resonated with me a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, it was a real, yeah, yeah, it's really sad. It's, uh, what was he, 79. I tried very hard to get hold of him for the Bright Sparks documentary, but um, I think he'd had a heart attack at the time and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in a good place. And that's the, the very unfortunate thing is that whilst... Uh, there were certain people who were happy to appear. They didn't want to be seen in a in an old and frail state, you know. And I can completely right. understand that, you know, history, uh, because that becomes their kind of lasting, you know, that becomes the the enduring memory that people have. But yeah, a remarkable, remarkable character, and I loved his modules. And what was it the the one of uncertainty? I mean, all those names and everything, and that whole. West, uh, the West Coast, you know, electric Kool-Aid acid test. I mean, that was his big. He he created the the soundboard, wasn't it, for Ken Kesey's Magic Bus? You know, the kind of PA, the internal PA system. And I think that was the kind of start of it all. And then you had the San Francisco Tape Exchange and Ramon Sender and all of those. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's it's such a landmark, and it's uh, it was it was a really crappy moment when you kind of find out that. And another one. This is this has just been such a shit year for people dying around, uh, not only the industry but you know people I've known, and it's just like oh great, another one, fantastic. And it was for me, I, he was. I'd never really spoken to him uh, directly. I know Chris did uh, Nam on one Nam, and like you say, he was very quiet and uh, a kind of private person. So yeah, it's a, for me it was a shame, but I, uh, that we didn't get him for Bright Sparks. But um, I think Alessandro, Alessandro's take on Don Buckler was one take, 
I, there's one edit in there that I put in uh, because he spoke for like 20 minutes or 10, 15 minutes just brilliantly, so eloquently. He was so passionate about, you know, what Don had done during his lifetime that it just came out of his mouth. And after he finished, I was like, that's it, man. That's it. That's it. Even if we can't get Don, that's such a brilliant uh, piece to camera. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, as we try and do with the with with these which are these regular occurrences where we're talking about people's life's work and how they've you know passed on it, it's kind of a the idea to sort of make a bit of a celebration. I mean, no, um, no, no. There's not much Buchler in Europe. It's very much more of a kind of uh, uh, American thing. I mean, it, d- it never really made it over because it was all so expensive. Have you ever had the opportunity to play with any of that stuff? Uh, only at trade shows, right? Um, and uh, what's interesting is we did a whole episode, the second episode of the uh, modular series where we built my uh, Eurorack case, was all dedicated just to the question East Coast versus West Coast, where we sort of explained that there were actually two flavors of the synthesizer when it was born. One coming more from an educational, from an experimental point of view, being the West Coast and Bukla, and then the East Coast, which was more performance orientated, more in a, you know, which eventually uh, um, uh, uh, materialized in the mini Moog or Moog, um, which was then practically a keyboard, a more or less conventional keyboard. And so we dedicated the whole episode just discussing, you know, the differences in, in, in the um, philosophy and in the different kind of the sound generation where the, um, the, uh, the East Coast is more about subtraction, you know, taking off, using yeah. a filter to shape the sound where as you would do that with the oscillator, uh, with uh, the Buchla sort of philosophy. I hope I got it right. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, it's very, uh, it because it, uh, I reviewed the uh, Make Noise Zero Coast, which isn't all that East uh, West Coast, but it's enough West Coast to be actually quite different. And there really are very different philosophies. And, and like you say, they come from different places. And th- I mean, I suppose that's the thing. I mean, Bob Moog, brilliant engineer, you know, very good at interacting with musicians. Whereas the difference is that uh, Don Buchler was a musician and did perform and was an experimental musician. So he was sort of, he came from that place that you, you seem to find a lot of manufacturers. We've been running a series called Meet the Makers. And when he talked to them, they just said, well, I had to build things because I couldn't find anything that did what I wanted. And it's kind of that approach that sort of has a very different sort of vibe to it. I know, Chicky Reeves, did you, did, uh, I know you're a big fan of synthesizers. Have you got any of the Buchler kind of stuff in your uh, in your... Arsenal. God, I wish, I wish I did. <laughs> you know, I, I came to him quite late because um, it was Alessandro was working with him is what got me into his, yeah, it got me into his sense. And no, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't have one. I wish I had the cash for one. You know, it's funny though in, in talking about him and the way he interacted with other people and the way mm-hmm. and, and so forth. It, it's I. I know, I'll probably get hate mail for this, but it seems almost like a Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla sort of comparison you know bob moog was just he was he had no problem getting out there and and talking to people and meeting people and and Buchel was very private very private person and it shows through in his sense his synths sound like that you know ah that's so, that's true i i think the other thing that's interesting is that the east west thing is very easy for us to kind of use as 
a marker. And I think it became somewhat amplified because of the East-West rap thing, which was a very clear... It, and that, that gave it more of a sort of battlefield, which it never really had, did it? This whole... It was just two different schools with engineers that communicated fine. It's just geographic location and slightly different approach. But there was no real kind of rivalry, as far as I know. I mean, perhaps you'd know a bit more about that, Dave. They didn't uh, really communicate. And I think the first time I met Bob Moog was at the uh, opening of a, the Museum of Synthesizer Technology. We showed the video and we talked about it. I was doing sound. and I'd done a few recce's up there. And in fact, the guy who owned the studio had asked me and my business partner at the time to invite musicians because he was a banker and he didn't know anybody in the music field, uh, as well as video it and whatnot. And what was absolutely fascinating, and this is this is a very big part of the... Moog philosophy is this what did he refer to it as like the spirit of the collective consciousness the zeitgeist effectively at that moment in time this was going on all over the world but because there was no communication you know widely accepted communication methods because phone calls you'd have Very to book expect- an international yeah, yeah, phone absolutely. Call and all that kind of stuff what's really fascinating is how these individuals in disparate parts of the world came to very similar. I mean, when you look at voltage control, you know, both Buckler and Moe came up with that. Very similar periods, but from a complete distance. And they really weren't aware of each other, you know, right at the beginning. Obviously, once the scene uh, matures a little bit and people, oh, yeah, I've seen this other thing on there. And I mean, of course, don't forget, you know, uh, I think in Bright Sparks, well, I know in Bright Sparks. Uh, you know every syllable. Uh, yeah, I do, actually, yeah. Herb Deutsch says about, you know, there was this argument whether the Moog modular was to have a keyboard because it would force you into that. And I love that thing with Don Buckler saying that, you know, it forces you to play keyboard-type music, whereas a non-keyboard kind of liberates you a little bit more. But there was that discussion with uh, Vladimir Usachevsky and Herb Deutsch and Bob Moog at the time. You know, did we put a keyboard on it? So, yeah, for me, it's that whole, I love that, you know, this, this idea of people beavering away in their little bunkers, not, re- not oblivious to, but really just yeah, not in, aware of what's going exactly. on elsewhere. Exactly. Brilliant. I, I would like to raise one question to you guys. Do you think uh, the Bukla systems would be much more popular, much more known if it wouldn't have been for the price because there's this you know very very not very accessible to a lot of musicians because of the price and therefore you know it was always a lot easier to get to buy a mini moog or something because it would only be a tenth of the price of a bukla system so that was sort of really limiting the audience for this instrument and maybe for that philosophy do you think it would have been would be different today if the bukla system would have been also three thousand euros uh, or mark or whatever it's, or dollars it's, quite, it's interesting because one of the things i heard was i don't know whether it was a snipe or what but somebody said Back in the day, people would far rather buy a modular system from a guy dressed in a suit and a tie and with pens in his pockets than this kind of hippie-looking dude who looked a bit untogether, you know, because of the, the, sheer, volume, you know, the sheer amount of money. And I think mm. there was a certain element of truth in that, particularly when you're dealing with academic establishments. Huh, yeah. Now, yeah, now, yeah, price is, price is everything, you know. Everything is price. No, very true, very true. That, that's an interesting question, Hans. 
Uh, well, I don't want to dwell on it too long, but I mean, he did bring us a lot of great stuff. And, you know, the legacy still continues. People still follow that philosophy into certainly in Eurorack and modules. And I know that, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still hankering after any synth in a suitcase. So I want a music easel and I would like a, a synthy um, AKS as well. <laughs> so yes. either of those, yes, but, uh, which, both have, which both have a similar kind of principle, like no keyboard. Well, I guess the AKS has got a keyboard, but I, I've always liked the sound. When I hear musical stuff done with um, with music easels, I really, do. I mean, I love what Alessandro does with it. There's a couple of other artists who just do some great stuff. And I think, oh, yeah, you know, that sounds really exciting. Mm-hmm. But um, And the one last comment yes is of course okay? <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, because it was interesting uh, you, you you guys were mentioning being forced into the keyboard you know being forced into this sort of very rigid sort of traditional keyboard scheme notes scales all of that isn't that something that we also experience today when we work with the computer and a daw a music program I sometimes feel also very much forced into this grid, you know, fixed tempo, everything is very fixed and you know, always in tune, this sort of thing. What do you think, guys? That's a very good yeah. point. Uh, Charles, that, that sounds like one, of, one for you to take because you're the, in the studio and working on this stuff a lot of the time, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I tried to do starting about, I guess about a year or two ago, I'd sit down at a keyboard and I'd find that like every time I sat at a keyboard, my hand would just naturally fall into this B-flat, second inversion, dominant seventh chord, like every single time. Yeah, me too. And I, I thought, and I thought, yeah, <laughs> and I thought, I, I've got to, I've got to get out of that. And so that's when I got the push two. That's when I uh, just started looking for alternate ways to input data into the computer. And actually even got away from the computer for quite a while and started doing, like printing everything on a tape as much as I could. Um, because yeah, because you do get forced into that. The keyboard forces you into it. If you're a guitar player, a guitar forces you into certain things. So I'm constantly now trying to find new ways of of inputting data so that you know so that it it doesn't. So I could feel like I'm doing something new, unique, you know, something different than what I've done in the past. Ah, that is so. an interesting thought. I mean, and I agree. And that actually brings us quite nicely onto another topic. But I think before we go there, it's probably time for a message from our sponsors. What happened there? Hello? Ah, I do beg your pardon. Isotope Vocal Synth. This is uh, the multi-processing software plugin, Polyvox, which gives you uh, vocal harmonies and unisons. It's also classic vocoder. For those of you who don't know, that is in fact the X-Isotope Fairy. Uh, that CompuVox uh, for sp- more sort of computerized speak and uh, TalkBox without the dribbling PVC tube. You can download a copy of CompuVox for processing your vocals, isotope.com forward slash CompuVox. Think outside the Vox. And of course, uh, for those of you who are regular listeners to the and watchers and viewers of the podcast, you'll know that uh, Isotope run a competition every week, pretty much. Well, I say pretty much. Every week there's a podcast, then there's a competition. And this week we're asking you to enter the competition. Uh, we've got uh, 
basically, it's a Twitter competition. You need to tweet a couple of hashtags to a couple of addresses. It's very simple. All you've got to do this week to win a copy of Isotope's Vocal Synth is tweet the hashtag Iconic Vocals as one word and the hashtag Vocal Synth to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's the hashtag Iconic Vocals and the hashtag Vocal Synth to Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Uh, there will be details of that in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself uh, if you didn't catch that. Uh, also, um, we have a winner from last week. Uh, Isotope winners last week is a chap called Cosmic Crush 72 uh, I asked you to tweet the hashtag thick octaves, so I, I, I guess I thick octaves. So I, I should have expected some slightly juicy comments, and he won with, or she won with the uh, the tweet. Yo, those are just some thick octaves in your pocket. Are uh, or are you just happy to see me? Uh, sometimes the old ones are the best, eh? Uh, so yes, a, sonic, a cosmic crush seventy two. If you want to get in touch, uh, the Isotope Ferry will be able to pass on your version of Vocal Synth. Congratulations for winning! Once again, we thank them for their continued sponsorship. Um, I think we could probably move this. I wonder if it, if if we go on to this next topic actually, which I, I'll move things around a little bit. This was a piece that was posted by uh, a, 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 an occasional guest blogger of ours, Lagrange Audio. He's in the the IRC chat room actually this week, and the next big thing is and it's really a kind of dis a discussion about how how you know we're, we're constantly asking for originality this is i guess in the light of the new roland stuff which is kind of old roland stuff which is reimagined acb analog model versions of some of their classics you know what everybody's sort of saying why isn't anybody doing something innovative innovative and new and the question is really it's actually pretty hard to come up with something innovative and new because we expect certain paradigms and principles to work to if you go too far away from it people just go ah oh, this is mad i can't use this it's it's totally unfamiliar and and you know it also explores the fact that we are actually by na- nature quite conservative so if somebody does do something that's really exciting we're not going to touch it with a barge pole until it becomes mainstream and then everybody else is using it and that kind of ties in hands with uh, non with your what you were just saying really you're being forced into the grid are you finding now that you want to get more out there and use unfamiliar interfaces and challenge yourself or you know does that not hamper your ability just to sort of stream your consciousness music into whatever your recording or musical device is you know that's a difficult dilemma right you're muted, I believe. There we go. No, he's not. Oh, his battery's run on his battery's probably run on his pack. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Hello. Hello. Battery's gone. <laughs> Jicky Reeves. What yes, do you think? Because yes. you're a, you're uh, a, you're you're a, a, a into synths. I mean, you've, you, I guess you just answered that. I tell you what, I'll go to Dave because Dave designs instruments as well. I mean, do you find you know your, your recreations of classics? That's fine, isn't it? But do you ever kind of think, you know what? I'd really like to make something completely new. One, and, two, three, and totally, yeah, got you there, Hans. Yeah, and that's when uh, that's when the Iris thing came about. Ah, of course. So that was a really brilliant thing for us to do because it was outside of what we were known for, and yet it gave us that kind of ability to. And and it's quite interesting because actually, from our perspective, I like Jason's writing. He's nicely provocative, I think. Yes. Uh, but really, from my perspective, like when we make something, there's always three things that have to kind of hit in equilibrium. There's the sound, the architecture of the synth, which is quite important to me 
and the backstory. The backstory is as important as those two things. And if all of those things kind of converge at the right time, we go, we need to get into that and we need to look at that and we need to understand why. So, for example, like as, Je as Lagrange said, you know, the Odyssey was kind of different. It made you approach things in a different manner. And obviously that's what gets the creative juices flowing. Uh, again, the Tron is a classic case. You know, people my age and older had the whole prog rock baggage. Uh, but actually, after we did the software Tron, a lot of the younger generation got into it going, oh, you know, what are these sounds? Oh, they, they kind of feel like something I've heard before. And then we started getting CDs from them, which were really new and exciting. And for me, that's, both for me and Chris, that's really rewarding. So if you kind of bring that into this discussion, I think from my perspective, it's really interesting in many ways because what we're seeing is hardware copying software that copied the original hardware. But this whole thing as for analog being, you know, everything, I think there's a generation out there who found it very hard to get their hands on the original analog since. And when that happens, you know, price point or just rarity value or they're brought up on digital, when that happens, this kind of rose-tinted mystique kicks in. You know, it's warmer than anything else. It's fatter than anything else. But for me, the truth is everything is completely valid. So this analog fetishism is slightly out of hand, I think, now. Yeah. And I'm giving away one of my big secrets here because it's not about analog digital. They're both completely valid. It's about uh, control, tactile control. It's the gooey, and yeah. we all know how men love to tinker with their knobs. It's a lifelong obsession, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> so, but there's also another angle on this in that, that from a manufacturer's perspective, uh, the existing and established kind of example or paradigm is really critical. I've been in meetings with companies where I've touted ideas and it's got, you know, beyond the drawing board. And then marketing gets involved or sales and marketing. And they always need this kind of comparison or reference point. Or you mean like the Minimoog or like the Profit or like something else. And that's really critical for them because I think that's their foundation for kind of guesstimating potential sales units. Right. So in a way, it's not surprising to see the same things, you know, this established paradigm to come up time and time again, because they go, oh, you know, we know that that sold X thousand copies. So, yeah, we stand a chance of selling X thousand with this. So that's the kind of mature way of doing things. But for me, it's not the brave way. The brave way is, and this kind of harks back to the previous topic with Don and the bright sparks. The brave way is born out of a need to do something. They're driven to do it. They have to do it. And at that point, sales and marketing just doesn't come into it. And for me, that's when the real innovation happens, when an engineer kind of sits in the shed and goes, I have to do this. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I would also point out that almost all of those people in terms of monetary success and uh, you know that sort of things have probably fallen short of the mark of the people who would have gone through the marketing thing so there's that weird kind of equation i don't know Norek, what do you think i mean it's you know it, there is a valid point because people want to pick something up and just go yeah i can make music quickly with this or it gets me somewhere i mean are we is it just that we're all perhaps not adventurous enough so therefore the manufacturer just angles. reflects that okay that's Aram. Three angles. <laughs> Coming back to Dave's point, the marketing side of thing. Why do we have Iron Man 1, 2, 3, 4, Star Wars 1, 2? It's pre-awareness and it's so much easier, so much cheaper to market something that is already a brand out there 
because there's not you don't need to explain much maybe it's already filled with all this emotion of tradition and myth and mythology the the moog modular you know so that that's one point and the second point is uh there's a certain innovation cycle and the synthesizer is at the end of the cycle Just like the car is, the car will get a new angle by being maybe self-driven in the future. That will be a completely new product, a new, a new total shift of mobility. But until then, all cars look the same. They have a steering wheel. There's, there's all these conventions. There are minor details, um, price difference, speed difference, but it's always a car. And the same with the synthesizer. And the third angle I see is introducing something new. Like, I don't know, how is the Roly keyboard doing? I'm not sure. I haven't seen it in the wild It's a big, great company. They're probably doing well, but it's a totally different way to play and a different way to learn it and everything. So there needs to be a whole culture around this new instrument and the new way to play things. And that is very, very hard to create. And especially when there is no need out there. Because when we listen to what synthesizers do in music these days and have been doing for 20, 30, 40 years, it's very, very close to what they're doing today. So what is the need? You know, what is my incentive to go, a totally diff go to a totally new keyboard, go to totally new sounds? That's, mm, that's all I have to say. The, the Eigenhart <laughs> actually is a really good example, isn't it? Probably more than the Roly. Yeah. I mean, the Roly. Yeah, that was very, very different, wasn't it? That's a good yeah. point. Charles, yes, sir. Discuss. Well, <laughs> well, you're looking. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, actually, that's that. Uh, just coming back to that. I mean, that's why there are these smaller. Uh, presumably, there are these smaller um, building blocks, so that we can configure our own workflow and our own way of doing things without, you know, like we haven't. We're not all using the same workstation. Obviously, the DAW might be the centerpiece of that, but you know, me going from A to B to C with a bit of uh d kind of in an effects loop is my thing you know and your thing might be different so but it is yeah. just configuration configuration details i suppose yeah you know actually speaking of something earlier about um the analog fetishness and and so forth i think one of the things that that has made analog so appealing to people is like analog analog synths they like truly analog synths have a certain randomness to them there's a something in the sound that's just slightly random whether it's you know the intonation or a filter that gets a bit wonky or something like that so there's a i think in a sort of john cage way people like the idea of having a certain amount of randomness thrown in and then about people liking familiarity too i mean stranger things for example soundtrack it's beautiful but it's not exactly groundbreaking stuff you know it's it sounds like It's like hyper familiar, I suppose. Is that yeah, is it's, a way? It's hyper familiar, and it, and I think what it, it's not that people are like it's, it's a retro thing so much. It's this is the next thing that people are exploring. This is the the new thing is to explore this part of the past, as opposed to five years from now they'll be exploring a different part of the past that hasn't been explored before. You know, and yeah, people are very slow to change. I mean, how long did it take for this country to switch over to the Church of England? You know, when they when Henry VIII. <laughs> wanted it to happen it was until his daughter you know much later on that it actually really happened and there was it was a very painful process people just don't like change you know um 
and, and that includes musicians, artists, everybody. Hey, hey, it's even me too. You know, to, you know, I, I like the idea of changing the interface around, but the thing is that there is sitting at a at a keyboard. Well, it's just a lot easier. I don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. And if someone goes, "Hey, can you knock out a, a synth part for something?" I'm not going to reach for something modular. I'm going to go for something that has a keyboard. I'll make a nice, attractive synthesis type sound, and and that will work. You know, it's the play the familiar chord. Right? The play the familiar <laughs> chord. Yeah, but then <laughs> but but then when you know that, I mean, the thing is, is you know that you start in familiar place. You think, no, I don't want it to be like that, and you have to work a bit harder. But you're yeah. using a familiar tool, you know. You're not having to go. It's like me, you know. I regularly have to get behind the scenes and do server tech stuff, and you know, I get on the command line and do this, and, and it goes like this: this is broken, or I need to fix this. But to find out how to fix this, I then have to go and research this tool that somebody's mentioned in a forum thread where they said they did it, and then I try and install it, and then it needs some other kind of. All oh, right, I need to do something else first to install, and then I end up in this massive great loop. So. That is completely the opposite of spontaneity. I get there in the end, but it takes me all of this time. If I have to do that every time I want to play some music, I'm never going to do it, right? So it, it's, yeah. it's a barrier. And, you know, you know, on the same, same note, talking about the, the rolly keyboard or even the, the push, you know, or the machine or any of those alternate sort of input devices, you know, the, so the, the skill set of being a musician, there is the, the part of, knowing how to create sounds and every synth can be quite different and so forth but the but say for instance you know you become an excellent keyboardist you become very good at playing things well but if you want to be an excellent rolly player then you will develop a skill set that is focused strictly on the rolly if you want to become an excellent you know push two player you become you get a skill set that's focused specifically on playing push two that will not apply to machine will not apply to a keyboard will not apply to anything else whereas you know if you have if you're good at you know making sounds, yeah, you you may specialize on on a particular synth, but you can apply that to a lot of other synths pretty fast. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of these alternate in, input methods don't really take off and mm. become hugely successful because it, it it takes a lot of energy to develop that to develop a skill set like that, and and it's going to be on one device that's very proprietary. It's not like suddenly all these synths are going to start coming out that have you know, like hardware sensoring that have like a Rolly keyboard on it because, you know, Rolly holds the patent on that. So That's true. I suppose the other thing is, and this is something that, uh, that, that w would tend to happen, you know, that when we say, when we see how quickly the kind of grid has been adopted, I mean, okay, it was with the MPC, it was fairly quick, but then what, what then happens is the, uh, you know, the 64 or the 32 base grid has actually, you know, what's that, five years? And it's really taken off and it's really become a super valid kind of way of performing. And, and that's happened incredibly quickly. So, I mean, if, if the energy is there and there's enough people adopting it and figuring out ways of doing it, then it's going to work, I suppose. Um, Non-Eric, are you adopting a, uh, a, a, an alternative method of being in front of the camera for us there? Just something non-standard. That's non exactly right, Nick. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working on alternative framing. Ah. Video frame or podcast. <laughs> That's a great idea. There's this show called Mr. Robot, which oh, I love. Oh, yes. I love it, too. I've and been watching it. And they do this alternative framing sort of thing. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah, I like what, that. What do you think? I like that a hey. lot. Yeah, we'll have some more. <laughs> Maybe we should try. That's really good. Yeah. 
I think I agree with that, actually. I think a turn, a turn to framing could work, yeah. No, I agree what you're saying there. <laughs> I, actually, I was watching a thing about conceptual art, which was quite an interesting thing as well, because it was a similar thing. Uh, this guy went to talk to this conceptual artist, uh, and, they, and they, they were there to do an interview to talk about the concept of conceptual art, and he, just, he was just naked, and they had to do the interview with this naked guy sat on the sofa, and the guy said, I'm doing this because... It's basically breaking the convention, and what I'm actually doing is changing the. It's, it's raising all sorts of interesting questions in your mind as to what the hell's going on here. I'm doing it for fun, <laughs> but it's doing that. But in terms of creativity, it's a very difficult thing to deal with, and I suppose, and and that's that's where we all suffer, you know, because by our nature we like familiarity. We like we, our brains are wired to see patterns that we can recognise. You know, when we go to a, a city that we don't know anybody, we're always going, "Hey, that looks a bit like somebody. I wonder if that's my friend. What would he be doing here, or she be doing?" And it's just we can't help it. It's part of our kind of uh, neurological thing. So, in many ways, innovation has to work within these very strict parameters until it becomes part of our social consciousness, I suppose. You know, and that's the problem. And yet, you know, everybody's got, oh, you know, with the Roland stuff and, and various other manufacturers. And I and I argue that actually, yes, OK, Roland are, are kind of milking their heritage. But they've also come up with IraLink, which I think is actually pretty new and interesting. They've come up with the MX-1, which is pretty interesting. They've come up with the RC-505, which is pretty interesting. The, the melding of hybrid and analog in the JDXA, which I happen to not like at all, but it's innovative. You know, so there are... You know, it's it's there. It's just maybe not as uh, far out or left field as we are used to saying. I think what's fascinating, fascinating with the Roland thing, I'm only going to say this because I didn't get the chance to come on and talk about it on previous uh, episodes, but um, we've all had discussions at certain points with Roland. I clearly remember Gaz coming up here and saying that, you know, he had a meeting with Roland to discuss things a few years ago you know to try and give ideas for products and all the rest of it and him going i'm going to go in there and i'm going to ask for a demand of 909 and all the rest of it and was basically kind of shown the door and here we are a couple of years <laughs> later i had a very similar experience uh and here we are a couple of years later and now we have the 09 and the 03 and the, so they are listening they're maybe not doing it in the way that the fetishists are going, it's got to be analogue. But they are, you know, they have kind of turned this corner and are going, actually, yeah, yeah, there's some mileage in this stuff over here. Well, it's a very familiar... I, actually, I haven't asked you about this, Norrie. What, what's your take on yeah. these? The, the, I mean, because, you know, you did techno. You know, you were Mr. 909, Mr. MPC, Mr. SP12. You know, is this Everything. something... Yeah. Yes. Are you uh, are you for or against? What do you make of the, the these little boutiques of the 303 and the 909? Are they, do they have... Merit for you? Um, I'm all for it <laughs> um, because I think it's uh, it's 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 what people want, and you know, give the people what they want, and they will be playing around with it. I just wonder, you know, uh, I discussed that because we did a show here um, with uh, Roland um, asking uh, answering the first questions for the system eight. Yeah, and um, what I think is um, people have been asking for it, and a lot of other people have been milking, you know, making their money out of the out of the Roland classics, and so it was about time that they did it themselves, which I think is a very very fair sort of thing. Do we really need another three or three reissue clone? I'm not sure, but I think it just 
you know, it, it's, it was about time that Ronan reissued yeah. their own stuff. And um, I'm, I'm just, the, the big question we had in the show um, was, you know, how do I connect all of those hardware units to a single DAW? which you can do with the Ronin mixer, which is fine, but it's pretty expensive. I think for all this retro and hardware synth stuff to really be valid, not just as something that's a hype for one or two years, but something that you know becomes part of, of the studio, there needs to be more thought put into how do you sync all that stuff? How do you get all the audio streams in there? How do you maybe get a sample accurate timing? get rid of that MIDI shit. You know, there, there needs to be a solution like uh, Electron has tried, you know, for, for their stuff. I mean, maybe a, a standard, something like ASIO or VST or whatever, a global standard that all links all that stuff together. Yeah. Open yeah. source like Ableton Link. I think that's a very good point. I mean, I, I'm still a big fan of MIDI, but it's funny you should mention Electron because there are other topics. I Another very arty video from Electron, which tells us not so much, but I like it. It reminds me of the psychedelic section in uh, uh, some old kind of 60s movie starring, you know, uh, one of the old uh, 60s Brat Packs. I'm not going to play it all because uh, there's nothing in there that says what it is, but this is the new Electron Analog Heat. Uh, which is the thing, a stereo analog sound processor. Uh, that's what it looks like. It's got the very much electron thing. Looks like it's basically a bunch of distortions, filter, amplitude, LFO, <coughs> uh, envelope follower, and that sort of thing. And they've got this really rather neat um, demo here. So you can take, let's see if I'll get this to work. Here's a loop. That's without it. This is the various. These are the various different distortion algorithms. I don't know how they did this, but I like the. I like the notion. Of this isn't all the parameters. I was hoping to hear <coughs> some kind of a. If I take this down a bit. Pultec sort of. Uh, a, you know, this is what the sounds a bit like a Pultec on an 808, which is a classic analog path, or you know, thermionic vulture that kind of thing. <coughs> it's here. It's Are 679 pounds. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, are we are we back to the uh, analog versus digital wars? I'm not sure if we are. I mean, I, I guess uh, the thing is, is because because oh, sorry, Nick. No, no, carry on. You. you carry on. That's what you're I, here for. I really would like to come back to what you guys said about analog and the little different. And I would like to ask Dave, what makes an analog synth sound so more interesting? Is it what we already discussed that it's never the same twice and digital is yes certainly the same certainly on that variable but it depends from synth to synth and boy have i spent my life discovering that uh acquiring as many as possible but things like the mini moog you really feel the electrons when you play a note it's something it's a real proper visceral thing that i've I don't even experience it with the modular, frankly. It's something to do with that, that machine. There's something in it. It's special. But yeah. yes, it's those random things and the quirky stuff. Things like the 
Oh man, I have to say thank you to CR78 because uh, he gifted me this documentary called Electro Moskva, which is about the whole Russian synthesis mm. thing. Mm. And of course, in that, it's, uh, it's brilliant. I'd recommend it to everybody. In fact, I've bought it for about four people so far. Uh, my only friends. No, um, uh, but in that, they, we talk about the polyvox. You know, they talk about the polyvox and how this, it's just always on the edge of kind of mayhem. And I think that's an analog thing. I'd love to see that in digital. So it's just on the edge. But, of Dave, but Dave, can't you program these? Variations? Oh, yeah, just of course. Yeah, yeah, you but can, why, but why it's, 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 it's... Why is it still different? It's so laborious. It's because you can feel, in certain sense, you can feel the electrons. You can. You make a connection. The CSA, particularly the mini-mode, you can. You can feel it. That's because they're so I stuffed do. with I've masses of radiation, <laughs> radiation emitting <laughs> electronics. <laughs> yeah, but, but they, even the... Straight triangle wave on a mini moog. You play it and you go. I've said, I've told this story a million times before, but I go and talk to uh, music technology students who do everything in the box. And dude, I do, you know, I'm a software guy, so I do so much in the box. I do a talk on history and I take the mini moog as an example of ev something that shaped everything that came thereafter. And even the surliest, coolest kid in the class who's really not paid attention because he's too cool for school. The minute he touches that thing, he grins. But Without smoking something. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, right. Having said that, I can in feel terms of things effects, under certain conditions. Right. Well, know? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> if, if we get back because to effects... Because um, one, it's one last thought and one last question. Sorry about interrupting again. But is that a valid observation is it been done blind tested without seeing the instruments just hearing it because uh, i had so many disasters in my life where i said oh i can hear the difference between logic and the rendering of traction and then i realized oh blimey it's exactly the same you know i can get it out of face uh, and and you know it It just phases out. It's definitely exactly the same. But to me, it sounded, I swear, I heard it sounded much better. <laughs> but I think so that, I think that, that I, yeah, but I think that's down to the physical uh, interaction with a thing. I, I would like to just touch upon the electron, if that's not uh, too much to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, with, the, with the effect side of things, I've got, uh, we've got an RE301 Space Echo and, or whatnot, and it's brilliant. But actually, I prefer the Strymon because it's more controllable. It's less prone to go completely mental, and it's it's a very very well coded effects pedal. So for me, again, in the in the effects realm, it doesn't. I don't care whether it's analog or digital. It's yeah. Well, there's something yeah. about that. It has an atmosphere as well. So. Uh, The Electron. So, uh, the Electron, I mean, it sounds, I was hoping, I mean, it sounds to me that they're going for this kind of, they're trying to get this, it's almost like the, the fermionic culture vulture where you've just got controllable compression distortion, that side of things. And their, their analog distortion is pretty nice in the analog four and the analog rhythm. So I'm guessing they're just bringing more of this stuff on board. I don't know. Have you got any Electron stuff, Charles? No, but, but oh God, I want some. <laughs> I definitely want some. I've been watching, you know, uh, Cuckoo, you know, like yeah. Swedish guy. I've been watching a lot of his videos with the electron stuff, and it's it's definitely wet my appetite. But no, I don't I don't have anything. Oh, this box actually seems. I mean, it's pricey, but it, it's you know, 
it seems pretty cool actually it does seem cool so that might be my my first foray into it but as far as actual synths go no, i don't have anything on it. i think it, i so, think it's a question of uh the detail because i mean obviously this is a very basic kind of look at it but the, whether it's got audio rate mod whether it's got this it also works as a usb interface two in two out so you can pilot in there with that and i guess it will join the it will join the whole overbridge suite so it can be part of that whole thing and you know it may just have something that people go that is the sound i mean to me that it there's a fine line between having a distortion unit that just basically recreates the excitement of an, an over enthusiastic dj who's pounding his uh, inputs too hard and something that's actually creatively useful, I suppose. You know, so I don't know. I, it, the jury's out. I mean, I think we've got a visit from Electron coming sometime in October, where they will no doubt want us to show want to show us this. And I look forward to seeing it because it's the subtlety that I think will make the difference. And I hope it works out. Yeah. But as with all of their stuff, you know, it is a premium price stuff. It's it, it's still small production runs, and it's hand built, and it's built in Sweden, and all of those things that that make a difference. You know, but you know, you have to decide whether you want that. I'm sure there will be people who do. Um, but I wanted to say. I just wanted to get that in because it's a new piece of equipment. Uh, uh, oh, as is uh, this thing, which I don't really know what this is. Uh, I don't know what... Um, this is another one of those videos which is beautifully shot and has a lot of stuff that is visually representing something. This is the Isotope Neutrino free plugin which does uh, spectral shaping, which is apparently a glimpse of stuff that they've got coming up soon on... Um, for mix processing, this is a free plugin. I don't know what it's doing, but it looks like it's doing something really great. Nice iris reference. Well, that, that that does sound that pretty. Show much. <laughs> it doesn't show much. Um, Dave, I mean, we know that the, the Isotope people have smart cookies, and they're giving away a lot of. But there's a lot of free plugins, and this, uh, if it's, it's, a, it's a lightweight footprint, do you know what spectral process, spectral shaping is? Because I have, I think, is it the same thing that you get in Melodyne DNA, where you could do that EQ thing, and it's dynamically affecting all the different bands separately? Is it something like that? It's similar, but um, you know, when you got rainbows sky yeah <laughs> and unicorns <laughs> yeah it's like those two coming together under like a, a beautiful plane of existence i'm i'm liking this i think that's great you should work in marketing and that's it in software basically yeah i yeah. should do marketing shouldn't i it's yeah. that in software <laughs> Because <laughs> I've used checked the Melodyne stuff out because I know Gaz is always talking about it. Uh, no, no, Eric, the, 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 there's that the EQ stuff, which is the dynamic EQ that's works on multiple bands, and I think it's something along those lines. So it breaks the frequency up into multiple frequencies, and you gain and you automatically adjust or you you dynamically adjust the gain of each, so you can completely tonally reshape things. Is that am I about right? Do you think? Probably, I would <laughs> love a plug like that. That would just make my mixes sound great because I hate mixing. This is a pet hate of mine. I don't really like it, but I don't want anybody else to do it on my tracks either. <laughs> so I would love to have something that's quick and easy and gets a great mix, but I, I'm afraid this will be have its limitations because anything that's so generalized uh, is obviously full of compromise and it might be might be something uh, to try because i'm doing the show tomorrow uh and i might try it uh, on the on the master out and just see what it does yeah so i have a bit yeah. more of a perspective to it uh, what 
Say don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. Do it. You know what? I'll tell you why. Uh, I because I played with it a bit. Um, okay. They, they, right. You can put it on the put it on the master. You can do all kinds of things. And uh, so I put it on a track. I selected vocal. And I dialed up like both the dials all the way. Hit bypass. Put it back in. Hit bypass. And um, in the vocal setting, it the music did sound sweet, but suddenly the vocals felt very buried in the mix. I thought, isn't this the opposite of what it says it's going to do? But then when I put it on the drums, suddenly the drums were felt a lot louder. It was it was mm, very strange. I, I, I'd, I'd experiment on one of your tracks first and just see how that goes before you stick it on the uh, on the master for your for your video because maybe no one will be able. It'd be like your like your mic <laughs> okay, factory a little bit earlier when the battery ran out. <laughs> they just won't be able to hear what you're talking about, but they hear all this great music. <laughs> so that's my suggestion. Okay. Well, we can all try. I think that it's designed to work on individual channels rather than maybe the mix bus. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think what's yeah, coming yeah, later yeah. is going to be something that's going to be a bit more. And as we know, they're, they're smart people. They sponsor the show. Generally, their stuff is really good. So, I mean, it's going to yeah. be worth checking out. So, anyway, I just want to say Neutrino, uh, available for Mac and PC. You can download it. And uh, let's quickly get – I know we're running out of time, but uh, this was something – that might illustrate uh, this is something I found on, on the interweb this is Studio TV Studio.se and what they've done is they've basically they've tested I'll turn this down a bit they've tested SM58 under lots of extreme conditions using it as a hammer uh, what was the other thing they, uh, they dropped it from a very great height put it in the freezer and they uh, dumped it in water. Uh, my favourite, oh, they ran it over. What's the other thing they did? Oh, they poured beer all over it, which is obviously a clear test. They put it in the microwave on a piece of pizza. <laughs> and it, apparently it all still worked. I would just like to point out, uh, uh, basically, it's the 50 years of SM58. And here's mine. You can see it's. <laughs> I've been using it as a hammer. And it's got yeah. a sort of corroded <laughs> end section. Uh, right there, where the where it's probably been in either in water or a battery, but fifty years old. I mean, that is a hell of a statement. And this is for for many years. This was the this or the fifty seven, which is essentially the same, but without this bit, was it right? Before we all got into yeah. you know, or being able to afford, or even knew about Neumanns and condenser microphones and all that sort of thing. That was pretty much all you got. And I don't know. I mean, uh, Charles, you've yeah. done a lot of live sound. Is there still a place in uh, in in the world for your fifty eight, even if it's just the talk yeah, mic? Yeah, uh, in fact, um, for Prince, for OMD, and well, Michael Jackson, uh, yeah, Michael every, almost Jackson. everybody I worked with, it, we always have like. In fact, we don't use a Beta fifty eight. We use the SM fifty eight. You know, the original. Um, uh, nothing wrong with the with the Beta fifty eight. It's just the SM fifty eight. Everyone knows the sound. You know, I'm, I'm, it's good to go. But you know, we we get those stick them on radio mics. They're they're excellent mics. So, you know, they're hard to beat. And I've mixed a lot of a lot of live records that uh, the vocals were all done on fifty eights. You know, maybe backing vocals on uh, Beta eighty seven Cs or something like that. But the uh, but yeah, the lead vocal always a fifty eight. It there's definitely. I mean, I've got one I bought. I show my age here. I got one that I bought in 1980 something, and I mean it's per it's perfect. It works great, you know. I I don't know if I'd necessarily use it in the studio to record, but probably a bit, but, bit yeah. smelly, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's but it's it's excellent. It works great. Yeah. This one I would like to add is it's definitely a pre 1990 vintage. So uh, I, I I it's got a certain something about it. 
Mr. Non-Eric, uh, is there a place in your life? Have you got any uh, 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 to go with your alternative framings? Still, still working on the framing, Nick. Yeah, Sorry. yeah okay, that's all right. Oh, but, well, no, no, no. I, don't, I think uh, um, it's, uh, it's the mic that I always recommend if somebody asks me what to get. Especially if they're beginners, they don't have a real, they don't have a nice room. They have no vocal booths, nothing, and they just want to, you know, they have no, not much expertise, you know, in mixing vocals or recording vocals. And this, that mic is sort of like a, has a kind of a, to me, a kind of a built-in compression, built-in sort of, you know, just getting it right without having to do much. It just has this compact sound, and I still use mine in my um, guitar cabinet. I have this uh, isolation cabinet and I only use the Shure mic in there because it's all, it gives me that sound is already finished. You know, it's already ready to be mixed. I don't have to do a lot of EQing and other stuff. And if you have, especially if you have a not a very good room, it just, you know, it doesn't take too much of the surroundings. And if you, if you go to a trade show and you're out of luck, you have no microphone or anything, and it's really loud, like a music messer, then you can use the, the Shure mic and it will only record what's yeah. in, directly in front of it. It's a great mic. Yeah, great no, that, that's a good, that's a good point. I mean, we use omnidirectional back electrics um, for radio packs and it's, yeah, it's much better to use a, a cardioid if you stick it in somebody's face, but it's not, if someone's demonstrating and you're far away, it's not always easy. You'd have to have somebody whose job it is just to hold the mic in front of somebody's yeah. face. And, you know, time is money and all of those sort of things. Dave, you got any SM58s in your collection? Hey, one of uh, each. Oh, look well, at that. I learned something today. I thought these were electronic drumsticks. Yeah, I'll tell you <laughs> um, what. No, they're evidently microphones. That, they're that's really old. Hammers. That's quite old. Oh, it's got a stain on it. I is that rust? It is a bit of rust. I think it was in the boot of my car for quite a long time. But yeah, it's good, isn't it, if you want to be a singer? Do you want to hear my David Bowie impression? I was walking down the high street. Um, ah, the laughing gnome. <laughs> <laughs> there you go so yes I've used them they're a bit ubiquitous aren't they really uh, yeah but that's the problem everybody uses them we need some new innovative design don't we we need something completely different that that won't last 50 years and that, or, or that could be the new 50 year. I don't know yeah I mean I, I am being uh, um, facetious well there. sure does have a new mic that's out it's like a, it's a not a replacement for the 58 but it's this um is it like a dual diaphragm something or other? <laughs> really? What's, what's that yeah. one that Michael Jackson used for vocals? Bruce Willian was talking about it. That's was a, it a Bayer? or something. Oh, was it a Shaw or Bayer? It it's like a radio... What was that? It's like a radio presenter's mic. You know, it's like a... All right. I'm oh, Michael Jackson vocal. Okay. I'm just... What, live? I'm doing, a, I'm doing a live web search here, folks. It's fascinating. <laughs> Michael Jackson uh, microphone. I know what I'm going to get now. What are we going to get? We're yeah. going to get microphones yeah, with Michael Jackson don't do on an them. image search. That, <laughs> that, looks like a, that looks like a Unidyne. Oh. That's a Unidyne, isn't oh, yeah, you're right. it? No, what's, yeah. it's that other short one. Oh, God, I've got, I've got to look it up now. SM7B. Okay, I'm going to flip between these images. Anything could happen. If you're watching live, I apologise if there's anything that you see that is going to cause offence. But here we go. Uh, I don't know what that one is. What was that first one? That's an AKG. Uh, SM7. Eh? No, 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 back, back, back. That one. That looks yeah, like a Unidyne. Oh, it does. It does. 
which was... Uh, it's like a radio presenter's mic. It hangs over the top. It's not dissimilar to the one you've got, but it's a Shure. I know it's a Shure. Bruce it's Sweden. not the SM7, right? right. Oops. Uh, uh, oh, it might be. That one. That's, that, that's SM7 right there. Yeah. Like. Is it that one? Yeah, that's yeah, what it means. In fact, it says SM7B. It is. It's <laughs> SM7. Yeah. Well, they're, they're oh, classic. They're oh, classic. They're classic radio uh, radio presenter mics, much like the RE20 type of mic was. You had those, and also very, very good for mucking up bass cabinets. I believe, if, if I'm correct, there. Yeah, really we... great for uh, like a, if you have a vocalist at a piano, and you're not doing a jazz gig or anything, but you know, like Elton John style gig, uh, they're excellent. Excellent. The reject, the side rejection, the back rejection, it's fantastic. So. I'm going to carry on flipping oh, through here. Opinion. Okay, no, that's good. Or <laughs> alternatively, here is, as I thought would happen, an actual S, uh, uh, Michael Jackson microphone kit. So there you go. That's <laughs> sort of toys. There we go. Oh, you're going to have a Michael Jackson head mic. Uh, that looks like a C. Well, that, that's one of the betas, isn't it? That's a, a, a beta 87 head on a radio. Yep, there yeah. we go. What else have we got? Michael Jackson. You can get a glove with that one. Electronic microphone oh, nice. with glove. That's a f- 57. That looks like a 57 type head. Ah, oh, this is getting a bit. I spot the microphone from a very small <laughs> pixelated image of Michael Jackson where microphone is not the focus. Anyway, yeah. I, I think that's probably... But happy birthday to the SM58 uh, and 57. Uh, may they long continue. I managed to get a few things in there. I don't think there's time to cover any of more of the subjects because uh, we've we've managed to fill the airtime uh, beautifully. I want to say thank you very much to everybody. Thank you to all the YouTube live viewers. Thank you very much to the chat room, the fulsome chat room. And thank you very much to Dave Spears uh, from g4software.com. Uh, been a pleasure having you aboard. Thank you very much. Very <laughs> <laughs> Actually, did Elvis use a 57? I doubt no, it. No. no he, had, he had those kind of rock and roll, rocking. Yeah, late, things, later it? on, I think he used one of those cool. uh, AKG D190Es that they use in Vegas. I'm not going to go. This is like listening. This is what listening to all these numbers is what my missus hears every night talking about synths. When you when you speak, you know, oh yeah, I really want the SH one thousand. I think it'd be really cool. Things it's just glazing over. Yeah, (laughs) wait till she starts talking about dishwasher models or you know the type of paints that she's she's using for her for her work. You know, they all have numbers as well. Anyway, and also shoes. Thank you very much. Also, uh, non-Eric from musotalk.de. Uh, and you've got some Cubase stuff coming up next week and the final part of your modular T- series, Tomorrow. Right? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Woo. Tomorrow. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, got lots of interesting stuff coming up. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad you could make it. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we must have a, a, a chat as well off the record at some point. It's always good to catch up. Um, but maybe Absolutely. we can. I, I, will, I will contact you privately for that. That sounds like this. We're going to do something dodgy. It's not. It's not at all. I, I, <laughs> what can we do? He's in Berlin and I'm in Bath. Anyway, thank you, uh, Mr. Non-Eric. And also thank you, Charles Chicky Reeves, uh, for joining us too. Uh, you've got the, you're looking, you're now looking very visage. You've got the, uh, the sunlight of the, the, the veil, the, the blinds coming across your face. Well, what's, what's happened is the sun just happens to be hitting a window, which is directly reflecting through the blinds of the, Wow, that's pretty, yeah, that's something that, that's alternative framing for you. How about that? So I think I'm going to call the show, um, what was it I liked? There was a great uh, hyper-familiarity and pre-awareness. I think those sounds like the very good titles for a show. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, I should, just before we go, I should say uh, uh, thank you very much to Isotope for sponsoring the show. If you want to enter the competition to win, win vocal synth, you need to tweet the hashtag iconicvocals.
vocals as one word and vocal synth as one word to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's it for this week. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.